G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to Footyology. This is the Round 10 Review Edition and another uh, big weekend of AFL jam-packed with uh, well, a whole lot of different fare. The odd close game, the odd hammering, uh, some inclement weather, uh, traditional sort of winter Melbourne footy weather. Uh, other parts of the country were fine and sunny and uh, I guess as I introduce my co-host Mark Fine, the undoubtedly the biggest news story of the weekend and the season thus far, uh, the departure of North Melbourne coach Brad Scott. Which would have been all the more spectacular had that moment with David King been more physical. Yes, that was, uh, yeah, well, we know, uh, remember Scotty from his uh, Brisbane Lions days, He's uh, he was a fairly fiery character and it almost bubbled to the surface there, but he managed to, do you think a few coaches were sort of secretly hoping he'd follow through on the deal? I think, uh, I think just for the, just for the memorable moment in sport it would have been, but he did recall that he, that meeting had occurred on field. Yes, he he did. And the aftermath of which he remembers not shining a a, a light of um of great courage and, and and respect for David King. Let's just say Brad Scott feels that had they met he would have ended up on top. Now, in fairness to Kingy, the column he wrote which appears to have brought that ill will bubbling over um, appeared on Anzac Day from memory. I, I thought that was was a very very strong column, and and uh, you know, Kingy's you know got a great North Melbourne history, obviously, so he felt it pretty keenly. I mean, you know, I'd absolutely defend his right to say what he wanted in in critical terms, and it was a, it was a harsh column, but um, a lot of people would think that. That had been coming for a while. That uh, I'll say this, Finey, that when you're a club that um, thinks you've got a bit of a chance, and you go out and you recruit some seasoned players, uh, you know, topping up they called it in the old days, and it backfires. No coach is more vulnerable than at that moment. We saw it happen with Michael Voss back at uh, ten years ago with Brisbane. And uh, look, I I thought North. Did the right thing in in topping up, as it were. I thought they uh, they had a fantastic year, given what the predictions were last season, and I thought they could ex- absolutely capitalise on it. Now they haven't, but uh, I think you'd look at it now and say that overestimating your abilities at uh, sort of the beginning of the end for a coach. Look, this is not media watch, and we can revisit it on Thursday. But just on David King, he has spent many years building up a reputation in AFL media based on his interpretation of statistics, which I am not a huge fan of per se, though I do admire that he took up that position and 
is the go-to man or had become the go-to man for statistical interpretation. This year, I think he's used his now authority in AFL media to also add some pretty striking editorials. I thought the one he wrote preceding the Carlton St Kilda game this week was preposterous, uh, suggesting that this game was going to be a coach killer for the coach of the losing team and that both coaches sat on the precipice. I thought that was particularly unfair to Alan Richardson because St Kilda's had, all things considered, a pretty good season. Now, that being said, you know what? If you're given the if you're given the honoured position of being listened to, watched and read in AFL media, then use it. And he's using it and more power to you, Kingy. It's an opinion game and you're putting your neck on the line and that very broad, strong neck of yours is going to, you know, it'll be well worked in the weeks to come because you are now putting yourself out there. And I like it. I like it a lot. I like it like I like Andrew's Burgers. Ah, yes. I was wondering when we were going to get the plug in. And we had a fantastic afternoon down at Andrew's Hamburgers uh, last Thursday where our first, uh, our second competition winners assembled to uh, partake of their free burger and chips. And first Andrew's Burger I've had for a while, finally, and gee, it went down well. Gee, they're beautiful burgers. They really are great burgers. And everyone there agreed. So get down there, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Nick Spartels was there. Not only was Nick there from Spartels and Hardwick Build Co., but one of his very satisfied customers was there, Mike Sheehan. Always great to catch up with Mike. And he was full, he was generous with his time. He was great fun. And he ate a hamburger in a way that makes me wonder whether he'd ever eaten a hamburger before. <laughs> well, he's, an, uh, he's a grandfather now, Mike, for the fourth time. So congratulations, Mike and Kate Sheehan, who had her second child and uh, all going well. So uh, Harry? Very, very good to see. I, I forgot to ask, to be honest. I thought it was a Harry or a James. Whatever, whatever the name of the young man, he already could teach Mike a thing or two about how to eat. Look, those burgers, people say what makes them a great burger and you and I both agreed, the internals were fantastic, but isn't a bun important? It is a great. It's one of the great buns how of do, all time. How are they able to keep it soft and crispy? I don't know. They do it, and they won't tell. No, it's, it's the perfect balance of bun, Fanny. I, I think we're all agreed on that. The, you know, remember Mark Bun? I do. Fitzroy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we get into uh, wrap around and wrap up all the nine games of round 10, just quickly uh, on Brad Scott, uh, the word on the street is that uh, John Longmire might be uh, returned to his former stamping ground as a player. Because it makes sense, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, sometimes uh, sometimes people try and put two to. Two, two and two together and get 68, but uh, it does make sense because he's been at Sydney a long while. But I, I was just going to say, I don't think we should always presume that the uh, departure of one coach is going to precipitate a some enormous merry-go-round of coaches because that's presuming that the guy stepping out is wanted by a variety of suitors. And that's not having a shot at Brad Scott either because I think he's overall done a terrific job with North. But I don't think you should assume that there will be a queue of clubs clamouring after his services. Can I just quickly, from a personal standpoint, and Brad Scott's time in football is far from over, just thank Brad at North Melbourne for accessibility, 
I lent on North Melbourne and Brad uh, some time ago with a North Melbourne supporter who had special needs, and I brought that person to training, and Brad brought every single player off the track and stood and introduced them to this gentleman. Brad Scott has, and I've always found both Scots very engaging and have been very um, generous as far as um, talking to me and interacting with me. I like them both because, for no other reason, they they are what they are. And, you know, they 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 will tell you straight up, you know, things aren't easy or, or this hasn't been the easiest year, this is what's gone wrong. I don't think, I really find them to be very similar in that they are not um, snake oil salesmen. And I believe that North Melbourne could have gone through a real... I know that they voted to stay here and it was great, but there were still a lot of things that could have gone wrong for North. And without the stability of a Brad Scott at the helm, that club could have come apart at the seams. Great people off field, and Brad is part of a very strong culture at North. Uh, here, and I, I still maintain that his effort in getting uh, them to a preliminary final in 2014 and 2015 were two great coaching efforts, both times coming from the bottom half of the eight, with lists which were, were good but not great. So to get that close to a grand final twice with them no mean feat at all, well, I guess we'll be won't be the last time we'll be talking about Brad Scott or the alleged coaching merry-go-round. Time now to get into our review of Round 10. On Footyology, wrap around. All right, well, they're all kicked off up at the SCG on Friday evening and another typically tight tussle between the Swans and Pies on the SCG. Um, three, Their last three clashes on the SCG now decided by a total of 10 points and the Pies have won two and the Swans have won one. It was a good game to watch. Um, never pretty football at the SCG, but I, I, I thought it was entertaining in its own right. Great performance from Sam Reid, not before time, some would say, but six goals to him. And in the end, another big last quarter from the Pies. They know when to put the foot down when it matters. They were seven-point victors in the end, 11-14-80 to the Swans, 11-7-73. What did you make of it? Well, first of all, I was distracted for a big part of the evening because my dream of Sydney winning 11-11 to 10-12 for the third week in a row was alive. I mean, I was, yeah. I was watching for it, was and close. it wasn't a million miles off. And it dawned on me that the retirement of Grundy during the week, of course, Heath Grundy, coincided with this man, Brody Grundy, just scaling the heights again. I mean, 60-plus hitouts, a dominant performance. When you combine his domination as a first ruckman with a midfield that, look, if you look past Pendlebury, then you really are, you're trying to be smart, aren't you? You, Because they've got other great midfielders, don't get me wrong. But Pendlebury has been and remains such a beautiful footballer in traffic, when it matters, with time. And it's just hard to beat a team with that combination. No, good call because some of Grundy's uh, ruck work in that game, and he does it all the time, but were, were, some of his taps were things of beauty. And as to Pendles, and I actually tweeted this during the game, and I, I can't remember who the pass was to, 
but I tweeted at one stage, he's one of the best waiters of a kick I've yeah. ever seen. And that is a real art. You know, you think about Darren Jarman, I'm sure there's been plenty of them. Well, I always felt that Robert Harvey was underrated yes, because yes. of his ability. You know, Nathan, Nathan Buckley used to slam the ball to the forwards. Mm. They were beautiful spearing kicks, mm. but not easy to mark. What a forward wants is a butterfly landing on a leaf. Yes. Yeah, well, Grundy and Pendles together, you know, the beautiful taps and the, the perfectly weighted pass, uh, they are great to watch in action, those two. Um, look, they're, they're a great side. Look, uh, some you know bad news out of it. Daniel Wells, let's hope he's not injured too badly because uh, he was he was terrific for him early on with those three goals. Uh, isn't he? Isn't he just? It seems as though he's going to be a a tantalising dream that won't come true for Collingwood supporters. But mm. just imagine had he been able to play any sustained football because the small excerpts we've seen in black and white have been so complementary to their style. Oh yeah, absolutely. Although, you know, in a in a way, um, I remember when he first arrived at Collingwood, we he got injured and we were talking about how costly it was for him. We're not saying that now. It's it gives you an idea just how how good their depth is these days because yeah, look, they'll miss him, they'd rather have him, but I don't think it's going to throw things out too much for them, such as the, the range of options they have. And think about some of the talent they had not playing in that game too. I mean, you know, Dugowie and, and Moore. Adams. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, they have got that much depth, the Pies, and that alone Elliot. makes them a really great contender. Uh, and a great problem to have too when these guys come back. Who's going to make way? Another guy who really impressed me, finally, was Levi Greenwood. I thought he was terrific for them on Friday. Look, I? he's... He is one of probably three or four players every week who's playing for his spot. And he's a very good player, Levi Greenwood. Whether given a task, whether uh, allowed to go on ball and amass some possessions, or used as a goal-kicking type defensive forward, but you can see his desperation is born out of some self-preservation as well. There's no Mm. doubt that he's one of those players that could miss out when the best 22 is selected if he's not in form. Well, he's making sure that he will get picked because his form's very good. The loss of Kennedy long-term for Sydney will be, again, look, this team's, this team's honest and brave, but these will be insurmountable losses on top of what is now a pretty thin, thin depth add losses like that, and it's hard for them to win games. Yeah, no, they're, um, you know, we've already said they're gone. There's, I don't think there's going to be a similar story to 2017 for them. What, someone who deserves a shout-out for them, Ryan Clark, who did a fantastic uh, tagging job on um, Steel side bottom. I think he only had three touches to half-time, and it's, that is rare. So uh, hats off to Clark. I thought it, a fantastic job by him. We should actually, maybe we'll talk about it when we talk about GWS, but... Obviously, the hard tag is something that I think coaches have gone away from almost out of embarrassment. Mm. Well, certainly, uh, pardon me, Leon Cameron hasn't. And DeBoer's scalps just keep adding up and uh, they are glaring to see. If you ever look at some players, top players, their season, their one game off is against GWS because of DeBoer. Now, if who wants to be a millionaire still had the old lifelines, mm. and you had to call a friend, 
I wouldn't be calling Dane Rampy. I was about to say, when are we going to talk about Rampy's second brain explosion in three weeks? Oh, so. It's not a brain explosion. You need to, you've got to have one. <sighs> what well, was bizarre? You've got to have something it? to explode. What a time to do it. I saw him come, you know, he came charging up to the mark, and I thought, geez, you're going to have to pull top, up. A, you're right. going to have to pull up pretty quickly, and of course he didn't. And uh, did it cost him the game? Well, maybe. Ch- a chance of winning it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, he's a. He's a strange sort of cat, Dane Rampy, isn't he? Well, you said that um, John Longmire had a in-house nickname for <laughs> Grundy and Richards, the F-Up Twins. Yeah, the brothers. Yeah, the F-Up Brothers, which is a great nickname. Yeah. I reckon Rampy might be uh, next generation. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's why Horse might end up at North Melbourne. He can't take it anymore, all these mad defenders. Um, all right, that's enough from the SCG. Let's head down on Saturday afternoon to Launceston. And another Hawthorne home game at their, uh, yeah, I guess it's still a fortress. They win far more down there than they lose. And comprehensive victory, uh, not even in the end. It was a comprehensive victory all day, really, over Port Adelaide by 31 points, 12 goals, 8, 80 defeating a very inaccurate power, six goals, 13-49. They kicked 1-6 in the last quarter, the power, but they were scoreless at quarter time. Difficult conditions. It was quite a a breeze, a couple of goals, breeze blowing to one end, which made it difficult. Uh, You don't see much pretty football down at Launceston, it's fair to say, but uh, pretty solid effort by the Hawks, I thought, particularly given uh, no big boy McAvoy in the ruck. Yeah, Pitney didn't really provide much. Segler did. He rucked particularly well. Look, this was a game they got out to that four-goal lead and there was a wind advantage for them. And then Port Adelaide tried to hammer down the door a few times. And certainly in the second half of the third quarter, they gained some ascendancy, but they couldn't get within that sort of under three goals to make the last quarter a realistic proposition. And they just had answers, and normally the answer was Gunston. Look, when you have a look at the game, and I know that you'll talk about Gunston maybe a little bit later in more glowing terms, but when you look at the game, why they let Henderson be on his own for about 40 possessions defied description. Well, that's right. Everyone's done that all year. And the other question is, why on earth did they persist with a sort of a, a backline set up that at least didn't put somebody, an extra man down there in between the deliverer and Gunston because it seemed like every time Gunston got the ball, there was more room than there should have been for somebody who was red hot. Uh, what about Port Adelaide? Because I know I had a bit of communication during the week, and it's a fair point. Someone was saying, well, we've talked about other clubs' injuries, but why haven't we made allowances for the power? Really? I think their injuries have been well documented. They are very real, don't get me wrong. But a lot of teams have a lot of injuries. Geez, they've missed Dixon, though, haven't they? They just—they're they're pretty impotent up forward, I reckon. I mean, if it's not one of the small, you know, if it's not Robbie Gray or Rosie or you know one of those smaller type forwards, they haven't got much of a prayer. Yeah, the one thing is that if these players do come back, Ollie Wines has had a season interrupted. Mm. Dixon has not been seen at all. Do they? Place for Adelaide, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I was wondering where you're going with no, that. No, but they've had a backman that have, has gone down, I think. Maybe not. Maybe not. 
but they've certainly been hampered in the midfield. Robbie Gray has had an interrupted season. So if everybody got together, the net result is that they've had a good year because of the production of these young kids. Week in, week out, you know what? This was a game they still could have won. Hawthorne, we don't need to list their injuries because they're, they're many-fold as well. Mm. So, so we, do we think uh, a Port, right at the moment, Port to me seem like the proverbial middle-of-the-road side. And they're playing accordingly. So we no finals chance? We're riding them off? Well, middle-of-the-road is probably going to encompass eighth, maybe. Mm. Yeah, I think there's plenty of others better, to be honest. It's been really disappointing, I reckon. Look back on their um, pickups from last year, too. Rockcliffe. Yeah, Rockcliffe's giving him more this year than last. He might, what, have, got, might, have, might have got hurt this, year, this week. Yeah, he did. Hamstring. Uh, Watts isn't a factor. Uh, and Motlop continues to disappoint. Motlop particularly disappointing. Mm. Now, they did much better this year going the draft route, and they prospered. Immediate returns. As I said, long term, I'm not sure. The big disappointment's Lysette, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, they've had to, they went for Laddams, was it? And yep. Frampton got a game. Yep, came alive. That's a musical reference. It is. Yeah, sorry. I was forgetting we've got some people listening to us younger than 50. Um, all right. We've done enough on that game. wasn't a great game, let's be honest. And, and had, to me, Hawthorne's a middle-of-the-road team as well. Yeah, I think Hawthorne's an upper middle-of-the-road team, I reckon. Just one point, 11,637. That's a, it was a pretty ordinary crowd, I think. Are they, the novelty of the Hawks well and truly worn off down there. I just wonder whether or not so much do I and many football fans want to see a Tasmanian team, mm. but do Tasmanians want it enough? Mm. They, yeah. need, they need to turn out in bigger numbers for AFL footy, don't they? And need to see some better quality games too. It wasn't a great one. All right, let's head uh, back to Victoria, down to Marvel Stadium for the Western Bulldogs up against North Melbourne. Fantastic opening term of this game, Finey. Five goals, two apiece. Oh, best game of the round. Yeah, it was a great opening term, although, again, you know, as I'm prone to do, remember a time when five goals each was just par for the course in a, an opening quarter? But you look at it now and you think, wow, that's a real scoring spree. But it was great to watch, wasn't it? And I guess, you know, given the drama surrounding Brad Scott and, um, you know, the fact that, I mean, officially he hadn't even sort of pulled the pin before the game, but uh, everyone knew what was happening and the players were pretty emotional and he had to try and focus them. It was good they were eff- a bit over the top early. Yeah, well, understandably, but, I mean, you can see things like that work in different ways. And, you know, it would have been understandable had they been completely off their tucker, but they were um, they were pretty good. First of all, the Bulldogs were, I think, sort of full credit to them. They came out knowing, I think, that they would be playing against a fired-up North Melbourne. They kept their, they kept their cool. They played decent football. And North Melbourne just got on a roll. And really, at, at sort of just after half time, it looked like North Melbourne had the game, and then the Bulldogs just went bang. So, well, one uh, Marcus Bontempelli went bang. Yeah, oh, he was fantastic. Look, Caleb Daniel was great. 
Marcus Bontempelli was excellent. Uh, he was brilliant, actually. They just, you know, they, they do have electric footballers. When you think Joe Hannison can start running with the ball, Bontempelli, Lloyd loves a goal. He knows where the goals are. Josh Dunkley is very good for him. Sa- I think Sam Lloyd was a great pickup for them. Yeah, he's been good. I don't know whether much was made of his recruiting, but he's been very effective. And it, it would have would it have been understandable for North Melbourne to fold, given the emotion of what had happened and the sort of uh, rush with which it all came, and the fact that they owned the game and then they seemingly let it slip. Mm. But they dug very deep, North Melbourne. Oh, it was great to see Mason Wood imprint himself on the game. Things of Mason Wood. It was good to see Mason Wood and Eastern Wood going for the ball at one point. It looked like two timber companies had merged. Yes. <laughs> I was quite confused, and so was the commentator I was listening to. No, but, no you're right, though. They really steeled themselves, didn't they? Once yeah. the doggies hit the front, you thought, oh, they're just going to To me, the moment of the up. game was that tackle by Marley Williams. Yep. Yep. And, and Brown kicked the steadier. And Larky, um, I mean, he's... I'm looking at North Melbourne's season, and they've only won three, and everyone's saying, oh, you know, disaster. But they haven't been that bad, I don't reckon. They've had a couple of shockers. But uh, overall, I don't think they've been too bad, and Larky has definitely been one of the pluses for them. And as a great Blackadder fan, I'm sure that when you see Larky go for the ball, you say, luck, 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 <laughs> luck, luck, luck. Uh, Zer- Lucky me. That was, that was the election, Dunning on the Woad. Yeah, yeah. You've got no idea what a rotten borough is. A rubber button. Um, Cameron Zerhar's been impressive yeah. for them as well. And he knows where the goal is. He's got a bit of Lloyd about him in that he's a, a solid type. He's you know, solid. And he knows where the goals are. But and it, he gets them. Everyone's talking about the ruse like they're some sort of cot case in terms of their whist. And I, I just don't see it. I mean, they've got, yeah, they've got some issues, but they're not, they're not that bad. Well, best game of the year for Scott Thompson, I thought. Yeah, yeah, he was good. I mean, like, say a guy like... Todd Goldstein, excellent. Well, I was going to say, speaking about turning back the clock, oh, he was terrific in the ruck. He ended up with, he ended up with close to 30 disposals for the game. So. Auditioning for the new coach, was he? Uh, uh, I think he had an okay relationship with the old No, he coach. had a great relationship, but he said he wants to play for another five years. So yeah. that being the case... No, it was, a, it was a great performance from Todd. Um, but the dogs again get taken in the ruck. You know, they they don't have a, a ready... The ruck is now a key position in AFL football. You can win games from the ruck, and their ruckman is learning on the job. And unfortunately, it, it was, again, English who was subject to some beating. Particularly at that ground, too. I, I, I've got a... I don't know if it's a theory, but it just seems to me that the ruck and the centre breaks seem to be more crucial at Marvel Stadium than elsewhere. Because it is a pristine environment, you are playing inside a vacuum. Yeah. Not a vacuum cleaner. No, no, you wouldn't want to do that. No, no, it's not. Be a bit dusty. It's not pristine. Uh, The fact is, if you can get that good tap out, the ball sits up, you are deep into attack. With you know one on ones, from a good ruck, from a good ruck domination. You know, and just, the other thing is, a good ruckman can follow up his own work. Mm, yeah, well, no, well, Goldie does that pretty well too. Yes, just a, a quick one. I, you know, this might be a harsh call, but I'm I'm thinking about the Bulldogs as I'm saying this, and we talked about Port Adelaide before Hawthorne. There's a lot of 
ordinary sides this year, I reckon. You know, sides who can pull out their best, and when they do, it's it's reasonably impressive, but they don't do it often enough. Well, the ordinary sides can go all the way up to third on the ladder at times. Yeah. Well, I think we've got more of them this year. Yeah, except for Collingwood and Geelong, who I think have stamped themselves on the season. Oh, Richmond are coming. Richmond have been great considering, but still... I'll tell you who else is coming too. We're West about to, we're Well, we're about to talk to them. We're going to do that right now. We're going to now. talk to them. On the line now is... Did I say no. talk to them? Talk about them. Uh, let's head over to Adelaide. This is a really good game, and they've had some cracking jousts over the years, the Eagles and the Crows, and uh, the Battle of the Birds, and this was another one. And... Um, in retrospect, well, it's not. It's only a day ago, isn't it? So it's not massive retrospect. But uh, this was a great win from the Eagles. They were thirty-three points down, late, deep in the, uh, or you know, r- relatively well into the third quarter. Yeah, it was a fantastic win. It was a win. Hang on, I haven't given the score. Sorry, no, fair enough. West Coast thirteen seven eighty five, defeating the Crows ten thirteen seventy three. Now, look, I watched this game in full, and I want to give credit to the umpires. It is very difficult to umpire these games in, in passionate ones. You know, the crowd is all Adelaide. So you've got this enormous amount of support. Every free kick to West Coast is being booed and... Boom. More than boo, you know, there's no voice of affirmation. Well, West Coast would be used to that, though, because normally their they supporters it, are doing all the booing. The umpires umpired really well in the face of stern crowd disapproval. I just wanted to make the point. Darling was effective. What a difference a Darling makes. Mm. Kennedy, not heaps of it, but one-on-one, he's a ripper, isn't he? And he's just a good kick at goal, too. Which makes all the difference, but and Jamie Cripps, Cripps as well, lovely snap around the body, beautiful snap. Where did they win it? McGovern, the stats won't say it, but he became the great McGovern of the defence, punching when it mattered, marking when it mattered, and what they tried to do was put the wrong match up on him for him, and early Millerer looked like he could be the match winner playing on McGovern because McGovern was not quick enough to play on him. But they got w- good work in the coach's box by Adam Simpson to get that mix right in the back line. That was very important. I think they stopped Brody Smith, who was very good in the first half. They quelled him. And slowly but surely, especially with a fantastic last quarter by Shuey, Oh, and uh, speaking of Brodie Smith, wasn't that a fantastic smother on that clearing kick of his by uh, Willie Rioli? Fantastic. Yeah. And a great goal by Willie Rioli as well. Lovely mm. tap-touch play. I know you love Willie. But I thought really the match winner was Shuey in that last quarter. Well, I, I reckon the Eagles have got more of their better players jumping on now, but they've got more of the sort of second-tier players contributing too. And from that point of view, Redden... Um, yeah. I thought he was important for them. And he did a great smother in the last quarter. Yeah. No, it was a great win for them. And another actor play too. What about that uh, beautiful little tap to himself by Oscar Allen uh, to kick the goal and put him in front? Wasn't that clever play by a tall... You know, you think of these deft touches for forward pocket specialists uh, that they are so deft, quick of mind and deft of hand, but his was done at six foot five. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it was very good play by the snowy-haired Oscar. And, of course, what uh, review of an Eagles game would be complete without us commenting on uh, Petrocelli? Jesus, quick. I don't know if I saw that much of his speed. <laughs> If you if you haven't been following this joke, we will be saying that every game that he plays because he is bloody quick. I said did something that makes him look quicker. His what, hairdo, hair? his yeah. hairdo looks like he's running. Yeah, at pace it, with the wind. It looks like a status quo concert, like uh, Francis Rossi with the hairdryer blowing his hair back. <laughs> now, um, yeah, I, I reckon the Eagles are definitely coming. There, there's a few wins on the trot now, and they're just going to get stronger and stronger. What, what about the Crows? They continue to disappoint me. I mean, look, you know, it's, it's, it it's ter- not a bad it was, effort. It was not a terrible but effort. But they are a shadow of what they were in 2017. And, and I'm looking at it now and thinking, I don't think they're ever going to get back to that. You know what I thought? Lynch is so important to them, he, he doesn't play. Tom Lynch, big, big loss. Mm. Taylor Walker, disappointing. He just didn't fire. Well, we say that more weeks than we don't. Okay, well, he didn't fire. In the last quarter, he did try and impose himself, but he just couldn't get the bloody pill. Mm. So really, it was left to unlikely types. Murphy had a very effective game. Not a lot of the ball. But listening to the, um, you know, ham-fisted special comments of Mark Rashuda, which are excellent, <laughs> but just not executed brilliantly. <laughs> <laughs> we've got a what's that line? I think it's Monty Python line. We've got all the words. Now we've just got to get them in the right order. He really is an excellent. He's got an excellent look on the game. He's one of the best. I'd always say that if if he could, he needs sort of a Pygmalion moment. If if he could, if Rex Harrison was still alive, <laughs> then this time next year, Mark Rashudo would be the best special comments man in the. He'd AFL. be my fair lady. His his observations are excellent, and he was very hot on the effectiveness of Murphy mm. as a low-possession winner but very influential player. And as he said it, Murphy's, Murphy kicked a goal, did that brilliant handball, you know, that diving handball that mm. resulted in another goal for the Crows, and he played a good game. So there were some lesser lights who played well for them. Okay, so we've just been talking Gal- about... Gallucci, Gallucci. Who I want to be a great player. Mm. Because I want to see him arrive at the ground on a penny farthing. Oh, a penny farthing, yeah. I think he will. We're, we've got I think it. he will in the sandfall next week. No. Because <laughs> yeah, I don't think he played very well. We've got our team working on it. Um, so we've been talking about ordinary sides. Are Adelaide one of them, or no. are they better than that? No, they're better than ordinary. Look, if, if, if they had both crouches, it would have helped. They just, I think they got, in the end, overrun in the midfield, because I thought West Coast started winning the, winning the argument the stoppages. I think they are ordinary, but I think they're at the head of the ordinary queue, albeit a long queue. It's a far queue. I was going to do that gag, but you beat me to it. All right, that's enough on that game. Uh, let's well, speaking of far queue, yeah. let's go to the other game on Saturday night. At uh, Metricon Stadium. We're going there first. <laughs> Wake! All right, beautiful weather up on the Gold Coast. You can always be... Oh, no, you can't always be short of that, but it was beautiful for but this game. Dewey. Yeah, it was, and uh, not Stuart. An, another great effort from the Suns, and they'll be getting sick of hearing this, but it really was. Uh, and in the end, the Cats pulling away in the final term with four goals to just two behinds uh, for a 27-point victory, 13-13-91, defeating Gold Coast 9-10-64. Four goals to Tomahawk. Um, a tower of strength up forward. Three goals to Mitch Duncan. He's having a fantastic season. 
two to Parsons, a two to Gary Ablett, who, honestly, Finey, let's not waste too much time Gary talking about idiot. But if he doesn't get a week for that. Well, the problem is, unlike the old tribunal where, was it, who was the head of the tribunal? Gaff- Gaffney. Gaffney. Jack Gaffney. He'd tell you, if I see you back here next week, son, you can be sure of one thing, you'll be packing your bags for a holiday. I don't think there's any cumulative um, warnings or or sort of discredits for the fact that he got close to being suspended two weeks in a row. Well, I think when Michael Christian does his weekly review now, the match review officer, there's a, a Gary Ablett uh, DVD player that they... No, they probably don't use DVDs. But, but with the old system, and now is the very old system, the tribunal would say, you've been here too often, son. You're treading a fine line. Mm. I don't want to see you again this year. And he'd be gone. Yeah. But that doesn't come into play now. No, but... Uh, and to be honest... It was low impact. Yeah, I just don't see it. Yeah, no, look, you might be right, but I'll tell you what, there'll be a, a hue and, and cry if he does get off. Anyway, let's talk about the game because yep. Gold Coast, I mean, it was four goals to four at quarter time, six goals apiece half time, nine goals apiece at three quarter time. They've got all sorts of pluses this season. One of them, uh, I think, Ben Ainsworth, he's been really good for them. And he looked like he might have been badly injured early. He came back and played well again. Sexton continues to kick goals for them. Uh, great game from Swallow. Wits in the ruck was good. Jack Martin, um, Anthony Miles. Uh, Fiorini was very good again. Holman. Uh, back. Holman, a tackling machine. He had 13 tackles before he had three possessions. Mm. Ex-Carlton listed player. So... Their midfield's not like other midfields. Mm. Other midfields are desperate to include six foot three, you know, these big, tall, former centre half forwards and are now midfielders are uh, all the go. They are basically the the modern. It, it is de rigueur to have one in your team, but their midfielders aren't that big, and they're good. So do we think it was more them playing well, or the yeah. cats sort of not being so good? Yeah. Well, look, I saw the game and. I felt that they were giving it their absolute 101% and they couldn't quite shrug the cat. They they could not get a break on Geelong despite the fact that they were first to the issue for the first three quarters. You just felt that Geelong had some muscles to flex. Like Collingwood this year, these two good teams do have gears. And I'll say this about the Suns too. Coaches hate being seen to be uh, patronised by people saying, oh, great effort, and we're doing it every week with the Suns. But you've got to keep reminding yourself this is a side who a lot of people thought wouldn't win a single game this year. And, uh, well, they're probably not going to win many, but they have been nothing less than competitive in virtually every game they've played this season, and I think uh, real credit to them. And just one observation... Hawkins kicked four, mm. but better than any of his four goals was a magnificent handball in the second quarter that set up Mitch Duncan for one of his goals. Yes. It was an instinctive – he got the ball and through strength was able to handball it, but instinctively to sort of space and voice, a 20-metre handball that Duncan was able to run onto and kick a goal with was just brilliant. It was Polly farmer I'm loving watching Tomahawk play this year. He looks sort of rejuvenated by what's around him now. And there's uh, we've spoken a lot already about there's plenty more around him than there used to be. I, th- I think last year he showed that he had re- rebirthed. And now, 
he gets the fruits of it because he's going to be part of a serious premiership contender. No, absolutely agree. All right, that's enough from the Gold Coast. Let's go to Dreamtime at the G. Well, it's always a big one at the MCG, and so it was again, unfortunately, in very inclement conditions. And I speak with bitter experience because I was stationed on the boundary for 3AW, and it pissed down for uh, well over a half. Still, 80,176 turning out for the Dreamtime game, which is a fantastic turnout, considering... Didn't see the greatest of spectacles, unfortunately, and um, this is definitely one case where the margin of 15 points flattered to deceive. Richmond 10-13-66, defeating uh, a once again inaccurate Essendon, who were 1-9 at one stage, 6-14-50. Two goals to Tom Lynch, two to Jason Castagna, two to Higgins, and for the Bombers, the only multiple goal kicker, Kyle Langford, who uh, was pretty serviceable for the Bombers and bobbed up with three goals. Outstanding game from Bashar Hulia, deserved winner of the uh, Yoken medal. Uh, 37 touches for him off a half-back flank. And uh, thinking about it, probably pretty much what you expected, I think. Um, the Tiger, both these sides, in fact, without a a decent roll call of players and uh, disaster for Essendon not coming just with defeat, Finey, but the loss now of Jake Stringer and Dylan Shield with hamstring injuries. So no Stringer, no Shield next week and alongside no Fantasia, no Devin Smith and no Joe Danaher, the latter two of whom are out for the rest of the season. What do you make of it? Well, the final score obviously doesn't truly indicate the depths to which Essendon found themselves in by three-quarter time. Look, they, they definitely showed something in the last quarter, and there was... Was there a slight glimmer there? A tiny oh, No, a I didn't flicker? think so. I mean, a look... Flicker, a flicker? No, I didn't think so. And I, th- I think once... Well, once it looked like there was, I thought Richmond just sort of regained control of the play and just went down the clock, really. Interesting. Tom Bell Chambers has been beaten in the rucks most times this year, but he was utterly dominant, yet Essendon couldn't get any advantage in the clearances. The midfield seems a little dysfunctional, to be honest, even when first palm of the ball, so at least they knew what direction the ball was going in, was off the hands of Bell Chambers. You just couldn't get any ascendancy through clearances. And, and it must be a concern because, obviously, look, Dyson Heppel, again, I, I, I've, I've got nothing but admiration for the way Heppel goes about his football. But I don't think he's physically getting the support from his midfield. And I'm not sure whether the, the run is... So I don't think they're strong enough to support him, body-wise. And I don't know whether they're working hard enough either. No, I thought they got uh, they got smashed on the outside. And if you go back to the start of a season and people talking about Essendon's strengths, one of them was, you know, gee, they're quick and 
they you know they're uh, aggressive with their ball movement and they generate so much run off half back well one thing richmond did and it was quite visible from ground level too was really put a lot of work into not only stopping the rebound of Connor McKenna and Adam Sard off half back, but really giving them a bit of a physical working over as well. And they succeeded. And not for the first time this season when Essendon's uh, preferred route through the corridor was cut off, um, they seemed a bit out of ideas. And uh, <laughs> Well, alarm bells ring if it is so obvious now. The way to stop Essendon's run seems obvious, mm. and the alternatives coming from the Essendon coaches' box seem, well, they don't exist. Don't exist. No. Well, what's you, Plan B? Yeah, I'm, see, I, I'm not sure many sides have a Plan B as such. Well, you need to when your Plan A is so obvious. Yeah. Well, look, Essendon. Twice this season, Essendon has found a way. They did it on Anzac Day against Collingwood and almost pinched what would have been a, a pretty meritorious win. Last week against Freo in one of the ugliest games you'll ever see, they had to scrap and scrape their way, and they managed to do it then. But, uh, look, I, I, I don't think they're good in the wet. Um, I don't think they're a physically strong team, and I think Richmond are very good in the wet, so that certainly helped them. But Richmond definitely looked quicker. And, look, I thought, if anything, there was a failure at selection level. And I heard John Morsfold asked about this post-game, and he was very dogmatic in saying he didn't think they'd made a mistake. But I thought, how could you look at the conditions and see the forward set up at some stages in which... Anthony McDonald Tip and Woody was basically the only ground level forward and say they didn't go in too tall. They definitely went in too tall and I would have been making a late change and brought in uh, Dylan Clark for his first game at the expense of either, you know, a Laverde or a Francis or a Begley or one of those sort of medium sized forwards. Just on Essendon's game against Collingwood, do we now have to maybe consider that too many teams outside the eight, too many mediocre teams are hanging their hat on a good performance against Collingwood when Collingwood actually won the game. So we've got Essendon, we've got St Kilda, we've got Carlton, we've got Sydney now. Yeah. You know, maybe getting close to Collingwood is very different from beating Collingwood and they, again, can't take as much store out of those results as maybe the football public and football pundits are putting in those results. No, I agree. And you also look at Essence three victories now over Melbourne when they were at their hapless most their most hapless or their I was gonna say their haplest. <laughs> um and then uh Brisbane who, you know, young side, they're gonna have the odd off day and North Melbourne when the Roos weren't travelling well either and um gee, injuries, you know, look, injuries have hit Richmond, I think, as hard as anyone. But uh, in terms of key players, I'm just thinking, you know, that, that roll call of injured Essendon players now of um, Smith, Fantasia, Danaher, um, Stringer, Shield, there's probably five of their seven or eight best players. Yeah, but, you know, two of them came in this current game. And oh, yeah, yeah. The die was sort of... No, I'm not, trust me, I'm not making no, excuses. No, no, I, I know you're realistic about... Essendon's performance, putting on your hat as a football journalist, you'd, you'd have to mark them as probably the most disappointing team of the season. 
Oh, one off. I mean, Melbourne were a preliminary final. Melbourne, so, and Melbourne, and but yeah, given the expectations, and um, I, I just I'm not sure where they go from here. I mean, you know, two of those injured players we talked about won't be coming back. Fantasia will come back after the bye. We don't know the severity as we speak of Smith and Stringer, but hamstrings, you're thinking, you know, the Buddy Franklin example, you're probably talking a minimum of two to three weeks. Um, and I, I don't think they've got the depth to cover it. So all of a sudden you're looking at the game against Carlton next week and wondering, oh, here we go. Carlton going to pull their ritual Upset of Essen again. Let's talk about the Tigers though, because I think they've been fantastic this season. The way they've been able to cover for those losses, and um, they did it brilliantly. And um, again, you know, one of those sort of players who's been given more opportunity as a result, Liam Baker. I thought he was really good for them, but their big guns really stood up too. Hooley is a big gun. He was fantastic. Dusty probably second best on ground. No doubt well, he's, he's turn, turned he's the corner. Turned, that's it. Yeah. Turned the corner. Yeah. Back. Yeah. He's back, baby. And and we, we you know, without wanting to say I told you so, we, we tipped it, didn't we? We talked uh, last week or on Thursday's podcast about it. that game against Hawthorne wasn't just a, gee, that's a great game by Dusty, but it looked like, okay, now he's... he's got his mojo. Yeah, back. exactly. And so you can expect him to continue that. Presti are very good. Flosten, very good. Um, they are a great side and they're uh, gathering momentum and those players are going to keep coming back and they're right in the premiership hunt. I mean, when you think of who wasn't playing for them, I mean, Kane Lambert has been very important this season, particularly with Cochran not available. The great thing about Kane Lambert is he grinds out four full quarters. He's a real endurance machine and what you get at the start is matched mirror image at the end of the game. So for him not to have played, again, really questions, puts a strain on their midfield depth. Look, I thought Edwards was great early. Mm. He's had a wonderful season. Of course, uh, Indigenous rounds very important to him, and he's a leader at the Richmond Football Club. And everybody said that Nankervis really was the player they could not afford to lose. And the young kid tried, but he's not yet an AFL Ruckman uh, I don't know, hyphen, hyphen. Callum Coleman-Jones. I just want to call him Callum Chambers. Or Remember there was a player... Callum Chambers, yeah, he played for West Coast and Carlton. Carlton yeah. yeah. So I, I just... And there was Barlow and Chambers, who got executed in Malaysia in 1986. I remember as a young man seeing their four feet on the front of the... The Melbourne Sunday Herald? Observer or something, and it was very, very chilling. Mm. I think I remember the headline after it, It's Done. I think yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, it certainly kept me from taking any Panadol to Bali. But we digress. In a tragic way. Seriously, very sad. So you just have to admire Richmond and realise that the fact that they are, quote Ross Lyon, banking four points under duress means that as these players return, they are a serious player again in 2019. Absolutely. All right, that's Saturday's games. Let's move on to Sunday. Back at the MCG, uh, considerably uh, considerably drier MCG, and they'd uh, hosed it down and all those things you have to do after Richmond and Essendon supporters have been in the place. <laughs> it was a much more genteel gathering and uh, a much smaller gathering, it needs to be said, too. 20,000 at the MCG for Melbourne, up against GWS, the Giants finally trying to overcome that MCG hoodoo. Just two wins from 16 games there. Could they break it 
Well, they smashed it and uh, wasn't reflected on the scoreboard really uh, for a while anyway. 2-5 to 1-1 at quarter time. But they put the foot down, started converting those opportunities in the second term. By three-quarter time, it was a massacre. And again, and I, I will allude to this in our Hots or Nots, um, a final scoreline very unreflective of the dominance of the winning team. GWS 14-10-94 in the end, 26-point uh, victors over the Demons, 10-8-68. Josh Kelly, brilliant. DeBoer again, another victim, this time Clayton Oliver falls foul to, you know, a former a Fremantle player that people really raised their eyebrows when GWS picked him up, didn't they? What did GWS going to do with Matt DeBoer? Mm. Seriously, a bit of forward line pressure. Do they need it? Do they want it? Uh, he's more than that. He's now the probably only real tagger in the competition. He's claiming more scalps than Geronimo. The beauty of GWS here was that they showed no signs of MCG nervousness because they have no signs of MCG nervousness against a team like Melbourne. Melbourne are bereft of forward options when it matters. McDonald ended up on the wing. They had to move him out of the forward line for him to kick two goals, which was quite interesting. Interesting way to play football. There was a very interesting and sad but poignant and happy subplot to this game. Which is? And a youngster from Melbourne, is it Oscar Baker? Yep. He kicked his first goal in league football. And, you know, players, when they kick a goal, they'll um, do something that makes you know that it's more than just a goal. And and sadly, Oscar lost his mother to cancer Mm. not long ago. And his dad was at the ground. To pre- I think his dad gave him his tunes. He did before the his first game. There's a video of that on the AFL website, and you yeah. should have a look. It's incredibly moving. Yeah. So he made a promise to his mum. Said, "You play league football for me," and he did. And of course, he dedicated his first goal. And he kicked his second goal too. But that was a, a moment. You know, he was besieged by all his teammates. But it was very special. He had a glance upwards, and the score didn't matter. It was a really poignant moment on a football field. It was. Um, we should talk about the Giants because, you know, they can be a bit flighty, but I thought they were really switched on today. They were really hard at it. And, yeah, look, Leon Cameron won't be happy about that last quarter, but the job had been well and truly done. A good measure of how they had the right balance in their game today, and I wrote this down about halfway through the second quarter, um, and they were they were almost five goals up by this stage, but they were they led the uncontested possession count by forty four. They absolutely smashed Melbourne on the outside, and that's been happening to the Demons a bit. But they're also winning the contested ball count very comfortably, and that has been well last year was a massive strength for Melbourne. They were so far and away the number one side for contestable last year, and the inside fifties by this stage were thirty to thirteen. I mean, it was just absolute dominance, and had they converted properly, they should have, halfway through the second term, been 12 goals in front. Um, Melbourne didn't kick their second goal until 17 minutes into the third quarter. That was Jeff Garlett, and then, of course, they kicked seven in the last quarter. But uh, they are gone, and we've said that for several weeks. Uh, it was a good effort against West Coast last week, but not good enough to get the points. And this was uh, an abysmal effort, and at no stage did they look like getting the points. You know what was interesting? A lot of people felt 
myself included, that Shane Mumford was very lucky to play in this game mm. after the injury he caused to Mark Murphy, accidentally on purpose. And people rightly, I think Kingy, the great David King, calls them Mummy's Boys, GWS. Somebody came up with that term. It's an absolute ripper. Maybe it's not him. I don't know who it was. Anyhow, he was annihilated. So, interestingly, one of the reasons I was comfortable in selecting them is because Mumford was playing. I think he's very important to their cause. Geez, back score was good for he the an- Demons. He annihilated him. Mm. He couldn't get a hit out. He couldn't get the ball. Max Gorn, I reckon Max Gorn was close to leading possession getter for Melbourne. I mean, he trounced Mumford. And GWS for most of the day trounced Melbourne. Um, Petrarca arrived after he he arrived. He got to the wedding when they were serving dessert. He kissed the bride. He was in all the photos. If you have a look at the wedding album, he's in it. But when it mattered, when 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 the groom needed him, he wasn't there. He was he he's not he's a disappointment to me. Yeah, well, among many. This year, it's been a really disappointing year for them, and we've got to move on. But just quickly, a real oddity uh, towards the end of the game as um, Melbourne started getting on a roll and kicking some goals. They cut down to the uh, GWS bench, and Leon Cameron was coaching from there. And, you know, now um, you get the... Red board and the... Yeah. Yeah. Did you see this? No. So there's Well, the boards usually have numbers on them for interchange players to come off or minutes remaining. The GWS guy holds up this bright red board, and it said "save." And I thought, "Oh, if we as AFL football now been reduced to the point where we've got bargain basement sales happening from the interchange bench," and I ended up tweeting about it. I'll show you the picture. It was remarkable. I thought, "What the hell does that mean?" And I guess it goes. I guess it's a signal to them to go into defensive mode or something, but it was like, save, save, save. It was weird. Well, it takes me back to my days in the outer at Cardinia Park, Rowan. Uh, why? When I was drove, driven spare for over a decade by a sign on the member side oh, of the right. ground. that's right, budget haircuts. Half-price haircuts. But no address. No address, no phone number. Well, if you give one to yourself, they're free. There it is. I'm, I'm actually showing you now. That there, it looks like I've tricked it up, doesn't it? But that's yeah. that's what the card said. Save. Maybe it's an investment company. Save at the GWS interchange bench. Remember, you know, I don't know whether they still do it, but for many years, members of the West Coast Cheer Squad just held up those messages, messages on, on hold. hold. <laughs> <laughs> that we should do a whole episode on on uh, quirky supporter things, and of course, the famous football park chicken salt. Signs. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, as soon as you said a rare, what did, how do you describe it? A rare oddity or? An oddity is rare. That's a tautology. Correct. But you said a a real oddity. Yeah. In the last quarter. What did that make you think of? Oh, when I was young, we used to go to Phillip Island for some of our holidays and there used to be a, you know, they, they have those fairgrounds by the foreshore. Yeah. That sort of travel along beach road and and down the beach holiday places. There was a stand, There was a, a tent, and it had oddities. And most of the oddities weren't that odd. They were just <laughs> photos. But there was a real oddity in there, and oh, I was. It was a stuffed, apparently genuine, two-headed calf. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty 
gross. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff. And, Doesn't and, and strike I'm, me as kiddie fairgrounds uh, attraction. And then sort of, and then I found out that Phillip Island, there was a place called Cows on Phillip Island, and I became really paranoid about the whole Phillip ah, Island cattle business. But they didn't spell it properly, of course, because they put an E in there. No, and that, that two-headed calf apparently, you know, you could see that in any variety of shows all around Australia. It wasn't real. All right, this is just a wild guess, but I think we've had enough of talking about that game. Let's go down the road to Marvel Stadium. And your boys were on display, Fonny. I know this is one of your favourite clashes because, you know, really like me and like most of us, you're still sort of living in the past. And so St Kilda and Carlton is, for your like, the uh, classic case of good versus evil, except now um, the evil have sort of uh, beaten and bowed and uh, I don't know who's good and who's bad or whatever anymore. The the uh, the entire playing field has shifted uh, markedly in the last couple of decades and thus it proved again today when your Saints prevailed. Nine goals, 14-68, 13-point victors over the Blues, 8-7, 55, uh, not one of the great games. What do you think about it? Look, well, we started motoring after that win-loss differential that, you know, 15 years ago stood at 125 to 31 or something. Mm. What's it up to now? Well, we're making inroads. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that my children's children children. Yeah. So, look, Carlton came out firing. People expected them to put in a good shift. Effort-wise, they put in a pretty good shift, but their their forward line entries, especially when the game sort of was in up for grabs, they owned the last part of the third quarter and parts of the last quarter, and some of their kicks into the forward fifty were terrible. For some reason, what's well, hang on? It says a bit about the game that you reckon Carlton owned. Most of the third quarter, and they've kicked one goal, two for yeah, exactly. the quarter. Well, that says something. Mm. St Kilda kicked three goals early, got out to a 22-point lead, had a couple of real easy soda shots to make it five goals, stretch the elastic band and break it. This was, of, of in terms of easy shots missed, St Kilda had five or six set shots from within 35 metres on an angle that they missed all afternoon. Mm. I mean... She's a mac habit of that. Oh, boy, the goal kicking was terrible. It's been terrible for years. But for some reason, I don't know why. St Kilda had the shots of goal, but Carlton could have had the shots of goal. They kept kicking the ball. Their last kick was either a terrible chip kick short or wrong, and the two main offenders, let me tell you, Nick Newman, his kicking today was terrible. Newman. Well, they would have been saying Newman because at one point he, the ball went out of bounds and I think Robbie, Robert Young for St Kilda may have only had two kicks. One of them was out on the full and another one was because when the ball went out of bounds, Nick Newman tried to punch him into the third row. So Robert Young couldn't get the ball except for Nick Newman's intervention. Um Carlton Petrevsky Seaton, his kicking inside forward 50 was terrible. Look, Carlton would look at this game as, I don't know if it's one that got away. They lost by one goal seven. I'll say this. I don't often say this. I thought St Kilda were very much on the receiving end of better umpiring. And not just the number of free kicks, but every time there was a half free kick, St Kilda got it. And every time Carlton could have genuinely expected a half-free kick, they just didn't get it. And I think St Kilda 
should consider themselves very fortunate to have won this game the way they played. A couple of observations. Uh, Jay Gresham, class act. Excellent. Like watching him play. Uh, Jack Steele has been a really good player for St Kilda, I reckon. Yep. Not necessarily what they picked him up to be, is he? Yeah. Uh, look, yeah. They, they wanted a strong inside mid. Yeah. I, I thought he when was he, a bit know, classier than that. You but. know, when he came to St Kilda, and I know this from um, uh, talking to people within the club, he did not have a great deal of confidence in himself. Mm. Maybe that was a uh, sort of the the net result of being part of this precociously brilliant GWS team. Mm. You know, he was so down the pecking order there that he's taken a while to come into himself. But now he's a true leader. He could be St Kilda's captain yeah, next year we, and onwards and upwards. We interviewed him um, a couple of weeks ago on 3AW. And I, yeah, really impressive. Yeah. Spoke really well. And one guy, I've always liked this guy, but St Kilda fans appear not to. I like Luke Dunstan. Well, he's playing his best period of football. No question this is the best he's gone. Mm. And probably no surprise that it comes at a time when St Kilda are down a couple of mids. You see, if Jack Stephen, even though he's a different player to Jack, if Jack Stephen and Hanbury was playing, I wonder whether Dunstan would have had the opportunity to play. A lot of people thought that Hunter Clark would get a chance before Dunstan this year, but I think Dunstan's been great the last three weeks. Puts his body on the line, and he's got a bit of football now. You know, he almost went to Carlton a couple of years ago. I didn't know that. Oh, they could use him. They need somebody to share the inside grunt work with Cripps because otherwise Cripps will be destroyed. Well, I wanted to bring up Cripps because he was really good again today. Great rebound from a, a rare down day for him last week. Charlie Kernow showed a bit, I thought, and his brother Ed. has been, you know, the Kernow brothers were okay. Yeah, Cade yeah. Simpson was pretty good for him. I don't think so. Okay. But I'll tell you a thing about Cripps. He puts in such a bloody shift. He worked so hard. He had a shot at goal in the last quarter from 35 metres out. It missed, but it barely went through. Gresham had a shot from 40 metres out. He put in so hard an effort, his ball didn't go through. And appallingly for St Kilda, there wasn't a St Kilda player on the goal line. There wasn't a St Kilda player within 15 metres, and a Carlton player just marked it unopposed on the behind line. Very poor play. It's a pretty ordinary game. I mean, look, yeah, yeah. take yeah, your was. hat off. No, no, it was. I, I want to say we're up to round 10, but I'll tell you what, I hope the footy starts picking up because if we get to about round 14 and we get a few more weeks like the last couple have been, I'm going to be really cranky. Can, can I tell you this? Um, you know when and where, but I, I was able to speak to a member of the St Kilda coaching panel recently yeah. and was surprised at his bullish opinion of late pickup John O'Marsh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I've seen in the last two weeks, particularly this week, why he believes John O'Marsh will be a five- to ten-year player for St Kilda. He's got a spot in that team going forwards. He's a very, very smart player. And, he's look, he's good in the air. He's quick, good decision-maker, and apparently only lost to Collingwood because he wanted to get back to WA. He's now ready to live in Victoria and a very good pickup. Do you reckon he was Chris and Jono? I always wonder if it's John or Jonathan or they were actually Chris and Jono. We know Jono. Jono Nash. Yeah, I know. I think it's that sounding surname. Jono Nash. Jono Marsh. Yeah, okay. So if you've got the uh, one-syllable surname, you're more likely to be a Jono. Jono Walsh. Okay, Marco. I'm Rocco. No, you're not. Okay. 
Your Rowan Connolly. All right, let's get on to the final game of round 10. And what a corker to finish off this was, Finey. And look, let's Some be, Victorians wouldn't have seen it. Well, let's be completely honest here. I don't think if you lived on the eastern seaboard, um, you wouldn't have been sort of chafing at the bit uh, for this one. But actually, to be fair, Fremantle played some pretty good footy at home. Um, they haven't been in good touch the last few weeks, but they have played decent footy at home. And Brisbane, uh, one of the stories of the season. So it was a great challenge for the Lions. And this game, um, I like it when a game that sort of hasn't got great expectations over it turns into a cracker. And this was. They were neck and neck all day. Brisbane got off to the better start. It was 5-2 to 3-4 at quarter time. Charlie Cameron, massive opening turn by him. He kicked three of those five goals for the Lions. Fremantle worked their way back into it in the second quarter, held the Lions goalless while they kicked a couple. Brisbane led by a point at half time. Four goals to Frio and five to Brisbane in a classic third quarter of footy. It was terrific to watch. And then a, a dour but uh, gripping final term. Just one goal scored. And in the end, I thought actually it was very, very close to a replica of the 1966 grand final scoreline. Fremantle, 10-13-73, defeated Brisbane by a solitary point, 10-12-72, with Michael Walters finally having a shot after the siren, just had to score, almost looked like it was going to get in for a goal, but hit the post, and uh, like Plugger, of course, in the 96 preliminary final, that was enough. And the Dockers went mad. Disappointment for Brisbane, but uh, really didn't lose much in that effort. Frio, to be fair, did dominate play in that last quarter. I think it was 15-6, to 6, the inside 50s. Brad Hill, very impressive in that final term as well. But Brisbane had their periods of dominance as well. I think they dominated play pretty early in that second term after a good opening quarter. Um, good defenders for the Dockers, Luke Ryan. 32 disposals for Ryan, 30 for Nathan Wilson. Lockie Neal held relatively in check with 26 touches in his return to his old stamping ground. We seem to have a lot of games, close games, with the results in the 70s, don't we? That mm. seems to be sort of the winning tight tussle score now in football. One more point each, it would have been the same as 66. You, if, if I say kick after the siren, ball hits post for a win, you think? I think Kevin Caton, Princess Park, 1989, Fitzroy versus Geelong. And so you should. An indigenous, I covered the game. An indigenous footballer playing for the Lions. Of course, at this time, the Lions are on the receiving end. Of course, he also doubled as the front man for fine young cannibals. You've said that before. I, I don't say, know. I'll keep saying it. And I say that Kevin, who I've had the pleasure of sharing some enjoyable evenings with. Well, along, you've said that before. Along with Ronnie Bird. <laughs> you've said that before. Yeah. Where is this going? Um, the only difference was he was about as far out as Michael Walters and his ball hit the knob. It hit the top of the goalpost. It was booming, that kick. Mm. This was a great kick, too, as well. Fremantle keep their finals aspirations bobbing along. I don't know whether either of us take it seriously because their away form is sketchy. But this is one of the games... It's better than it was, in fairness. Yeah, this is one of the games... It is better than it was. This is one of the games that Brisbane had to conjure a way of winning if they were to 
make the biggest rise up the ladder from last year to this year and play finals. You need to win a game like this, and obviously tantalisingly close they were to doing so. Bradley Hill, fantastic. Michael Walters gets the final say-so, but we should mention that they got a lot of run out of the back line from the likes of the stupidly hair-coloured Ryan. Um, and Nat Fife looking more like a WWF. Actually, he looks more like the old wrestlers from when I was growing up. Like her. You know, with those sin- Mario Milano, with those sinister arm braces, oh, where, yes. you know, they, where, uh, under which they would, under which they would hide, you know, plates of plates of metal or porcelain, something to break over someone's head. You know, he does. It does look a bit sinister. That big black brace. He used it well to out position. Might have even been teammate Lockie Neal for a great mark at one point. You know, he's a big decider in these games, isn't he, Fife? Well, quick word on both these teams. Do we? Still think Brisbane is a genuine. Do we think they'll play finals? This doesn't help. No, it doesn't. But I think they'll go close. Yeah. Uh, what it's about? It's f- disappointing that somebody like Eric Hipwood could not hit the scoreboard mm. in this game. What then about? Again, either could open. What about Freo? Can they make it? I think these two teams have to get run over by. There must be something better outside the eight. Well, I don't know. It's like we said. I think there's a big cluster of relatively. Well, Ordinary teams. Well, Hawthorne. I'd be backing Hawthorne against either of those. Port Adelaide. Uh, no. No, I'd probably back Frio and Brisbane ahead of Port. Okay. Anyway, we're around 10, so there's plenty of uh, water or waters. I'll tell you, St Kilda's has two or it's three the bridge. unwinnable games, but St Kilda's um, remaining games are, are, better, are easier than the ones they've faced. You well, know, that's good because they've now. Uh, well, they play. They cut, lost four in a row, didn't they? Or five yeah, I'm in saying, row? but that four in a row. But mm. the, they were the more difficult stretch. You know, it was Carlton, uh, GWS away, Fremantle away. I'm just saying that if you're going to make a, a case for those teams, you'd probably have to put St Kilda in the discussion. Though I think the winner in China next China is a huge game at last. Mm. At last, China means something. <laughs> I think it means a fair bit to the Chinese. <laughs> at last, funnily enough, at last, China is relevant. I don't think China should be taken for granted in any discussion. Finding <laughs> there's a fair bit of support for the Chinese. Um, all right, that's our wrap up of round ten. Let's now discuss the highs and lows of the weekend in footy. On footyology, hot or not. Okay, we all know how this works. Let's get straight into it. I'm starting with a hot finey. His name, Jack Gunston. I love this man. He is a smart footballer. He's a cool-headed footballer. He's deadly with boot. Actually, he hasn't been quite as deadly this season, but he certainly was down in Launceston on Saturday. Six goals straight in very, very tricky, windy conditions down there. It was in a an ocean of... Kicking mediocrity, he was just beautiful to watch. And I love watching him play anyway. He's just so clever about how he does everything. He uh, he marks well, he positions himself well. Um, his goals came from a variety of situations. There were snaps, there were set shots. The one I liked the most was a little, deft little tap with the outside of the right boot to that one that was looked for all money like it was going to dribble over the line for a point, but just got the outside of the right boot to it and made it trickle across the line for a goal. Uh, 21 disposals for Gunston, nine marks. Uh, 
Um, one great goal assist too. There was one uh, to the right-hand end. I don't know what you call the ends at launch system, but the right-hand end on screen where he was charging down the wing and he saw Luke Bruce making position and you could see him just sort of gear up for right. This has got to be a really long kick and he let fly and it was a beautiful kick to Bruce's advantage who uh, then did his bit, positioned himself well and gave off the handball to Impey it was, who I think ended up kicking the goal. But more and more, I don't know, I feel like I'm watching so much brainless football at the moment that to see someone like Gunston, he just does everything well. And, and when you talk about Hawthorne, and okay, it's a few years ago now, but I always felt like, you know, for all the technicalities and the mechanics of why they're a good side, we tended to overlook, because it's a bit sort of simple in a way, their football IQ. They were just a really smart football side. And in there's still got a few of them. Sean Burgoyne's another one. But Jack Gunston, he's just a class footballer. And uh, that was a fantastic performance individually from him. And uh, clearly went a long way towards them winning that game against Port Adelaide. You're up. It's pretty obvious, but I am going to go for Tim Kelly. And hot. I'm- hot. <laughs> Hottest. I'll go for him every week if he keeps playing like this. Easy now, not the most damaging. Best midfielder in the competition. Well, maybe not out on his own, but I'll tell you what. How about his performance again this week against Gold, against the Gold Coast? And look, Geelong needed something. They really had to fight off a, a serious foe. And Tim Kelly has lifted himself, I think, first of all, he started the season as a very good player. He's now lifted himself to the ranking of Geelong's best midfielder, permanent midfielder. That's that's a fairly big claim. Yeah, that's his role. Dangerfield, Ablett and Selwood. Don't mind saying it, though. The others play other roles, but they're in terms of permanent midfielders, he's the man. He now lays claim to being the best in the comp. I'm not saying he is, but I'll tell you what, he's in the discussion. He's as hot as hot can be. Good call. No, good call. I I think I had him as a hot a couple of weeks ago. No, I love watching him and uh, I love the the story behind it too, the way he wasn't, uh, you know, he's hasn't rolled off the production line of uh, of underage football and uh, for whatever reason overlooked initially and who knows why. Uh, Good call. I'm going with a not second up, and uh, this one is conceptual, Finey. This is more the sort of thing that you'd go with, but my not is phony comebacks. Nothing irritates me more than a side that is so hapless, so inept, that is completely out of contention in a game, and then out of nowhere pulls out a few quick goals, and because of circumstance, can be seen on the scoreboard at least as having a little bit of a chance. But really, we all know it's no chance. And it also enables that side to, uh, in uh, in its lack of wisdom, to paper over the cracks, as it were. Two good examples this weekend. One, Saturday night, the Dreamtime game. I saw my own Bombers do it finally. They were pretty hopeless for three quarters of that game. Two goals to three-quarter time, a 37-point deficit, which in those conditions, and I was down there shivering my ass off, and it was pretty ordinary, um, was a chasm. That was about a 12-goal margin in good conditions. Uh, the game was well and truly gone, but 
I think as much because the Tigers sort of took their foot off the accelerator. Essendon were able to conjure a uh, a burst of four quick goals in that last quarter, a couple to Kyle Langford, uh, one to Tom Bell Chambers, one to Jaden Laverde. And lo and behold, with uh, technically enough time left to win the game, they got that deficit back to 15 points. Richmond then reassumed control of play, if not the scoreboard. I think they had a couple of chances which they missed and then Daniel Rioli got one right on the siren and it finished up being, what was it, 23 points in the end. But um, I would, as an Essendon person, you'd really hate them to put any stock at all in what happened in the last quarter because you really got to focus on what went before that, which was pretty awful. And today... At the MCG, another one, Melbourne. Now, they were never going to win this, but Melbourne up till three-quarter time. Three goals to 12 against the Giants, down 57 points. Managed somehow to get that back to 26 uh, come final siren with a seven-goal last quarter after kicking three in the first three. Yes, the Giants relaxed, but, you know, one of those bits of play that makes you think, well, where's this been for three quarters? They were woeful until three-quarter time, the Demons. And again, I hope they don't use that as some sort of uh, consolation prize because uh, their season is done and dusted and uh, performances like theirs in the first half are a pretty good explanation as to why. Just awful. And uh, I don't care what they did in the last quarter. It was absolutely meaningless. Both those final terms, in fact, at the MCG, Saturday night and Sunday, meaningless Bad weekend for Essendon and Melbourne. Don't paper over the cracks with anything that happened after the game was already over. My next hot is the midfielder, Kelly. Look, he's had a fantastic... No, it's Josh. The other one. Look, Josh Kelly is a brilliant footballer. And he had a interrupted start to the season. And when you have to be folded into a midfield like GWS's, it's not as impactful necessarily as if Josh Kelly was being inserted into most of the other midfields in the competition. That's where GWS's strength lies. And you can be hit under a bushel, but there's no hiding Josh Kelly's ability under a bushel. And today he really, you know, he grew wings and he is what he is. He's a magnificent footballer. Endurance. So he's got the tank, but to match the tank, he's got the skills He's got the body strength, and he's also got the kick on him that sets him apart from most other midfielders. I think if you're picking your All-Australian team and you stutter Kelly Kelly at this stage, you'd be stuttering in the right direction. Brilliant today, Josh Kelly. A class above every other player on the field. They were great to watch today, the Giants, weren't they? For the most part, yes. Mm. Hoodoo, Mm. voodoo. Yes, Kelly Kelly. It was doo-doo, that hoodoo. I'm finishing off with a hot, uh, and in the same vein as my first one, but uh, this guy, a defender rather than a forward, I'm going with Bashar Hooli. Um, when you watch, oh, I was doing the boundary for 3RW, and when you watch up close, uh, it really does give you a, a different perspective um, just on how guys go about their work. And I was watching him closely uh, in lieu of a lot of goals. There was only one in the entire first quarter. But his positioning behind play, um, when when you watch him uh, from up close, there's absolutely no secret as to why he gets so many possessions. 
Uh, he's just a beautiful reader of play. And, and he was setting up, inevitably, he would set up somewhere where the ball would finish up and uh, where few Essendon forwards were to be seen. Um, he makes really good decisions, uh, rarely wastes a disposal. Um, he ended up with 37 touches in the Dreamtime game, which in those conditions, no mean feat. Uh, deserved winner of the Jochen Medal, I think is the pronunciation. Um, of course, famously runner-up in the 2017 Norm Smith Medal to Dustin Martin and plenty of people. I think he was three votes off. I think it was 13 votes to 10 in that Norm Smith, but a lot of people felt that he probably should have won it. In fact, the two coaches in that game did give their maximum votes to Hawley and not Martin, so they certainly appreciated the work he did in that game. And, uh, gee, when you, as an Essendon person, finally, you, you look back on ones that got away, and I know uh, when Kevin Sheedy coached Essendon, um, he used to pride himself on not giving away a player that would come back to bite, or, gee, Basho Hawley came back to bite. He was in and out of that Essendon side for years. Um, pretty sure when James Hurd came aboard as coach, he, he was fairly keen to keep him, but uh, Basho had been made a pretty good offer by the Tigers, um, who saw something, well, Damien Harwick clearly saw something that the Bombers didn't, and Essendon's loss has definitely been Richmond's gain. Uh, another great player to watch, terrific bloke too, we all know. Uh, the important work he's done off the field in a welfare sense and representing the uh, the Muslim community. Um, but a great footballer as well. And uh, well done, Bashar. You are a star. I told you before. I told you on Thursday. I said, what will every Essendon supporter be saying at you some did. point on Saturday night? Yeah, you did. They'll no. turn around to each other and say, why did we get rid of him? Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, it is. That and is, uh, yeah, it, really. I'm feeling bitten. All right. Uh, my last not hot or hot is a not. What the fruit truck was going on with West Coast Eagles Indigenous Jumper? Hang on, what the what? The fruit truck. Well, you swore oh. last week. I don't want to make Yeah, it. but we beeped it, and I don't know if we've got the beep this week. So, yeah, well, Okay, truck. Just let's make that very all clear. All right, every team had a, an Indigenous Jumper specially designed by members of either the club or family members or important members of the Indigenous community. And I think every club wore it, didn't they? Uh, no, the Eagles couldn't. The Eagles be- did not wear it. No, but they couldn't. Why not? Because of the jumper clash. Exactly. So well, don't you, blame them. It's I'm not, not blaming them. Oh, I said, okay. what the fruit truck happened? They know they're, who they're going to play. So surely the AFL commissions a design that can be worn on the day. Oh, I'm just passing you the image of what they wore. Their most insipid poo-poo jumper of all time. The weak, insipid yellow with the you know, drawn by a child eagle's head on it. It really was an oversight, surely, on Indigenous round, if there's a jumper clash, you you organise a jumper that will not clash. You tell the artist or you say, look, here's the parameters. We've got Adelaide's jumper. You need to work a jumper with a predominantly yellow back, etc. Every other club was able to do it. Or you should point out here, they're wearing it. I think they wore... Did they wear it last week? They're wearing it next week. Mm. Um, now During. No, there is another occasion next week, but I can't remember what it is. Yeah. What is it? It's it's called the week after Indigenous <laughs> Round. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I really. Don't you reckon it's a, it, that's a misstep? Well, uh, no, I've got to defend them here because they're two clubs with two, I mean, two or three 
uh, two of Adelaide's three colours are the same as the Eagles' colours. So what do you want them to do? To completely change the colour scheme? I suppose we've done that. It was Indigenous round. I'd like, so they're going to wear it next week, and they're going to come up with some cockamamie half excuse as to why it is appropriate next week. Oh, I thought it was pretty. Pissed. All right, no, I no, thought, no. I thought I thought on Indigenous round, a team with a great Indigenous heritage, yeah, one of the strongest in the competition, and a wonderful Indigenous present, yeah. When you consider, have a look at their list. Let alone, you know, the Brit- Liam Ryan. Th- these are star plays on Indigenous round. Ryan Rioli. I mean, seriously, in okay. that jumper. Okay, but let's make it clear, though, you're not blaming the Eagles. No, you're I'm not. blaming no. the AFL for their directive. Yeah, I, I think there was a miss, a lack of communication somewhere along the line that had one of the 18 teams wearing a pyjama. Well, it wouldn't be the first time in Australia's history that Indigenous folk had been subjected to a communication breakdown. Maybe it was fitting that it was not a perfect celebration of Indigenous football or Indigenous round didn't go off perfectly because that would not mirror society and, as you said, the lot of the Indigenous people in Australia. There is still work to be done. All right. No, couldn't agree more. All right. Well said. Uh, That is hot or not for this week. Time now to get nice and fired up. On Footyology, the rant All right, well, uh, clearly one news story dominating the agenda in the week of Round 10, and that was the uh, rather hasty and, um, I guess, dramatic departure of Brad Scott as North Melbourne coach all played out within about a a 48-hour period. And, um, yeah, strange strange happenings going on in the way that unfolded. But uh, I've got a few thoughts about it, Finey, and uh, not unusually for me, I'm hearkening back to a football time in the past. Do you know where I might be going with this? Well, if you're looking at um, coaching dramas, I don't know, Terry Wallace earlier? Well, you just see. You just count me in and you'll uh, find right. out. I am curious. Three, two, one. I'm pissed off with Brad Scott, Finey. What's with all this dignified departure stuff? In my day, coaches had to be dragged kicking and screaming from their positions, calling on the fans to storm the club offices. None of this warm and fuzzy mutual agreement stuff, emotional farewells and polite press conferences, sitting happily alongside the bloke who signed off on your death warrant. It's all too dignified, Finey. I pine for the good old days. Like when Alex Jezelenko coached Carlton of a 1979 flag, then five minutes later spat the dummy with President George Harris and had a whole club on the brink of civil war. Or when Melbourne gave Norm Smith the arse in 1965, half a season after he'd coached them to a sixth flag. So what if a coaching legend cut up a bit rough? It was bold, decisive action from a club which had won 12 premierships. And 54 years later, that 13th flag is just around the corner. Or maybe not. Where's the fire, the brimstone? Yeah, sure, so Scotty nearly hip-and-shouldered David King on his way to the three-quarter time huddle. But he pulled out at the crunch. He couldn't manage anything more than a couple of expletives. I thought you were a hard man, Scotty. Geez, I remember when Carl Dittrich was coaching Melbourne and chased the late Trevor Grant down the corridor at Waverley with nothing but a towel wrapped around his ass. True story. 
I was there that day at the MCG in 1993 when Mick Malthouse slammed my old colleague Daryl Timms up against a wall after the Eagles had lost. No one batted an eyelid, mainly because we'd all pissed off in fear we'd be next. Then there was a time David Parkin had that young Herald Sun reporter bound, gagged, tortured and executed for asking if he was worried his job was on the line. No, not really. I just made that one up. But it's the sort of thing Parko might have done if you made that jugular vein on his neck bulge just a little too much. AFL coaches used to be like preachers up on a pulpit. Fair income, I sat behind John Warsfold on the Essendon bench last night, and I might as well have been sitting there watching my accountant do my tax. Actually, no. If you knew some of my money worries I've got going on at the moment, even that's more dramatic. But I reckon when North Melbourne goes looking for its new coach, it doesn't just need shimbone of spirit. It needs some hot gospeling. It needs someone who won't just yell at the media, but put them on their bloody ass. And it doesn't need a new game plan. It needs yelling. Lots of it. Shout, shout, and shout again. As the great John Kennedy said, Finey, don't think, don't hope, scream. <laughs> very good. Oh, you like that? Yeah, that's very well written and very well delivered. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Uh, okay, what have you got for us? Okay, count me. No, I don't need to be counted in at all. Okay, tally ho. Three, two, one, rant! It's not a rant. I'm going to deliver some facts that are less obvious to most football fans because, to be honest, most football programs are going to deal in the obvious. But I put to you the following supposition, football fans, and that is that this year has been the year of the dud star recruit. There are a couple of exceptions, but generally teams who invested heavily in a big-name recruit from another club have come an absolute cropper. Let's have a look at the tail of the tape. And we'll start with Carlton. Their biggest recruit from another club was M. McGovern. (laughs) Maureen. Look, Mitch McGovern's Form is nothing compared to his outlandish and now seemingly incurable behaviour. And that is, at some point during the last quarter, in games where things haven't gone all that well for Maureen, he limps off the ground. I've counted at least three occasions, the game against St Kilda being the most recent, where in the important last 15 minutes, M McGovern was nowhere to be seen. His namesake Maureen sung disaster songs at the end of high-priced disaster movies like There's Got to Be a Morning After. Well, for M. McGovern, there shouldn't be a week later because he keeps limping off when it matters and that is not good enough. Let's move on to Essendon and Dylan Shield. Well done, Dylan. He scored his first goals of the season last week in that thrilling victory over Fremantle. At the moment, he's scoring about as regularly as a centre-back for a mediocre EPL team, but that's not important. He's not there really for scoring. He was there to bolster a midfield that needed something different, and to be honest, he hasn't proven to be it yet. Uh, The jury's still out. The jury's not out on Jesse Hogan. He's a world-class klutz either coast. Whether it was here on the East Coast for Melbourne or over on the West Coast, not for West Coast, but for Fremantle, he's pretty well overrated and thinks more of himself than the football public think of him. Another disappointing start to the year for Hogan! Let's move on to Hawthorne. Who is their star recruit? 
the tattooed Wingard, or the free-running Scully. Well, Wingard's got more tattoos than he'll get possessions this year, and Scully runs more than he gets. Wingard, an abject disappointment, despite a wonderful quaff every week that is full of expensive product. Melbourne, Stephen May. It's May, and we haven't even seen Stephen. Or barely. And what we've seen is too much. Well, (laughs) he weighs too much. Who knows when Stephen will be right, but May's passing, maybe July, August, or next February. As for North Melbourne, their investment in outside run and established midfielders, Pollock has been acceptable, Aaron Hall predictable, started well, now hopeless, and Dom Dom Tyson invisible, now injured through the VFL. Richmond's Tom Lynch was supposed to be the cream on the cake. Look, they've had their injuries, but he's had his problems. He doesn't kick enough goals, and he doesn't have enough hair. The Prince William lookalike is starting to worry even Richmond supporters, who are hearkening back for Jack Rewalt. Bring back Jack, they say. Give Prince William the flick. I'd love to comment on Dan Hanabry. I've never seen him. I don't even know what he looks like in a St Kilda jumper. I don't even know if he's in the state. I don't even know if he'll ever play for St Kilda. But I tell you what, I wish I had his pay packet. Port Adelaide's Lysette got dropped recently. And West Coast Eagles' Tom Hickey is being Tom Hickey and getting injured every second week. So, analyse it. There have been some successes. Lockie Neal, Dane Beams. (laughs) We'll go back a year to Bryce Gibbs and throw him into the mix as well as an abject failure. The fact is, big-name recruiting has gone arse-up in 2019. Very good. Is there anyone you in the AFL that you haven't taken out who's uh, switched clubs? I don't think so. Oh, Lockie, I said Lockie Neal and Dane Beams get a tick. I'm also uh, pining for a time in the distant past finding when these rants used to go for about a minute each. Remember when we started doing them? We had the minute time clock on them. I know. This was a long one, but I think... It was like a mini-series. Well, I think this was a point well made because it's I not, think it was. I don't think many other people have made the point. No, I think it's a very good point. It's a very good point, and it would have been... Uh, even better if it came in under five minutes. No, I think it was. I think you encapsulated it very well. Every every supporter out there deserves to know the truth. Now, quickly, uh, that's just about it for this week. Before we go, our competition. Just remind people because you can still get your entries in. We will be announcing the winner of our latest competition on Thursday in Thursday's podcast. But uh, basically, you tell the punters what they need to do. Well, there's been speculation about a ridiculous speculation, idiotic speculation, fool's talk about a wild card in the AFL. So we want you to go back in history and give us one team in one year, the year and the team, where a wild card could have provided a team with a premiership. You can be tongue-in-cheek. You can be absolutely... um, Sort of, uh, well, if you're cynical, you can be totally hypocritical. What's the term I'm looking for? Not cynical or hypocritical. You can be sarcastic. That's what you can be. Or you can be serious. If it's well written and it's a par, it could win the prize, which is an Andrews T-shirt and an Andrews cap. And they're both great. And have you told them where to send their entry? Go to Footyology and follow the email prompts. And I'll pass them on to Finey, and he will have the final say. And we've already had quite a lot of entries. So Email prompts, prompts, prompts. Make it good. Make good, it good. Good, good, good. And, uh, yeah, stop it.
Uh, time for us to go then. I um, hope your team won. Uh, seem to say it every week. My team doesn't. I uh, hope your team was at least competitive. No, my team really wasn't. But uh, there's always next week. Thanks for joining us. And as we wrap up, again, Brad Scott, the big news story probably of the season to date. And uh, as I referred to in the rant, um, shouting, a very overlooked part of coaching. And uh, I think it needs to make a comeback, as uh, they said in that memorable Blackadder episode with the Duke of Wellington. Uh, Blackadder says to him, um, to the Duke, do you think uh, great great uh, army success comes down to leadership and inspired tactics? To which his response is, no, it all comes back to shouting. And in that vein, as we bid you farewell, we're going to leave you with this. <laughs>